but it was either me or Mary, my wife, during time and offering. She's like, it's always the pastor, the pastor's wife, like, amen, preach it, share that good word. I don't know why that is. We can, maybe we'll figure it out. But as he prayed, I thought it was interesting that, that he prayed for the firemen that are fighting the fires. And uh, um, I thought for a second, because as he talked about the needs and the resources to do certain things, I was imagining, imagine firefighters, these men and women without any gear and without any trucks, right? Without any uh, of the equipment that they have. Imagine trying to fight fires with no resources. And I've, everybody would say that that would be crazy. Yet when it comes to resourcing the work of God, many of us don't want to participate in that. Um, I think it's interesting that we all, the, uh, the firefighters that are out there, you resource them through your taxes. The police that are out there, you resource them through, their, through your taxes. And then many of us say, uh, I'll resource them, but I won't resource the kingdom. We've got to shift that. We've got to get an understanding that we will not stop doing that for our firefighters, our policemen and women, but we definitely will not cut the Lord short. We will be uh, part of the resourcing of the kingdom that that would advance. And those fires, believe me, burn much hotter. Amen? Amen. So uh, our series of Hope, Healing, and Hurricanes uh, has been going on for a few weeks now, and uh, I've been enjoying it and just the things that the Lord's been speaking to me. And so this morning, uh, we'll get into what I want to share with you. But, but first, I, I was thinking that this last week, uh, meeting with some of the men that I meet with and reading, we eventually have gotten to the book of Revelation, read through uh, the, the whole of the New Testament together, uh, and we just started the book of Revelation. And we got to a familiar verse this week, and, but it seemed to hold our conversation. Several of us had it highlighted and wanted to talk about it. And I want to share that this morning with you. Revelation chapter 2, verse 4 says, and the Lord is speaking to, uh, to John, and he's telling him what to say to the churches. Uh, and he says, nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. So we talked about it, and I haven't been able to stop thinking about it. Kind of wanted to share a little bit with you guys this morning. Thinking about this idea of what does it mean to have a spiritual first love? A spiritual first love. How many of us know that typically our first love isn't the most successful? <laughs> it isn't the most mature, and it's typically based purely on emotion, right? Think back to when you first fell in love. That first girl you saw, that first boy you saw, and something was different. You were maybe in like fifth or sixth grade and you didn't like the other sex and then all of a sudden you show up to school one day and you can't stop looking at this person, right? You fall in love, but it's not successful. You typically don't stay with that person. It's not mature. It's all based on how you feel and what they're wearing and what they look like, right? So why is it that God would have this, this draw to us about this first love and coming back to this first love? When we come to Jesus, typically uh, it's also a lot like that. There's a lot of emotion involved. There's a lot of passion involved. You just got saved and you can't wait to get to church. You can't wait to worship. Um, you have this feeling every time you think about God or, or you open the Bible and like rays of sunshine start coming out of it in the beginning. But it doesn't always feel like it did in the beginning, right? Many of us find ourselves later on saying, Lord, it doesn't feel like it felt in the beginning. And many of us in relationships and marriages find ourselves saying it doesn't feel like it felt in the beginning, right? But we recognize what has happened. How many relationships and families have been torn apart because one or both of the people say it doesn't feel like it felt in the beginning? We have to realize that God isn't saying, I want you to love me like you loved me in the beginning. He's saying, in the beginning, I was the one that you loved first and foremost. You see the difference? It's not love me like you did in the beginning. Let's feel like it felt in the beginning. He's saying in the beginning, you loved me first. I was your first love. I was the most important thing. You planned your week around church. You planned your week around spending time with me. Every day you woke up and you were quick to repent. How we love and how it feels is supposed to change. It's supposed to grow. It's supposed to mature over the years and over time. It's supposed to feel different in different seasons. 
But who we love first and foremost is supposed to remain constant. Amen. Let me say that again. How you love and how it feels. It's supposed to change. It's supposed to feel different. You're going to have different seasons of your life. However, who you love first and foremost is supposed to remain constant. It's the same thing in a marriage as it is with your relationship with God. Hopefully that helps many of us this morning as we try to walk out our faith. Hopefully it helps some of you who are in relationships as you walk out your marriages. But anyhow, as I continue to think about the beginning of my personal relationship with the Lord, the beginning of being called into ministry, I thought about the love that God gave me for the lost. It's one of the things when I think back to the beginning of of what salvation was for me, there was this love for people that, that were lost. I, would be, I was reading the scriptures in the beginning, and I would say things like, I didn't know that. And then I would be reading the scriptures, and I would say things like, man, that's exactly what I'm going through and what I've been through. And then I'd be reading the scriptures, and I would say things like, why didn't anyone tell me this? <laughs> I look back now, and I know people were trying to tell me, but they didn't do a good enough job of making it clear for me, obviously. Right? You're reading, and you're like, man, I didn't know this. This is my story. It's talking about some other man or some other woman, but you're like, this is my story. This is how I feel. This is how depressed I've been. This is how broken I've been. And you're thinking to yourself, man, these people have been in church, friends, family members, parents, and nobody's telling you. And there you are lost. So the experience of coming to know God and truly coming to know myself, it produced a lot of different things in my life. However, there's two in particular I want to share. The first is, I became aware of how hopeless I was without Jesus, right? You get saved, you find Jesus, you begin to uh, learn about him and learn about yourself. And you're like, man, I thought I was maybe just a little bit broken, but I was so broken. I was so hopeless. I'm so glad to have Jesus in my life. There's bad days, bad seasons, but you wake up in the morning and it's like God has wiped much of that away and said again today, here I am. That's one thing I noticed is how hopeless I was. The second thing was how much I wanted to help others that didn't know be able to find what I had found. You know, when you're a child and you find something, you want to hide it and hoard it and keep it to yourself. Many of us as adults, we want to hide and hoard and keep it to ourselves. But children of God, when you find God, you recognize, man, I can't wait to share this with other people. There's other people that need to know this. There's other people that are hopeless that need hope. There's other people who are suffering that they don't have to suffer if they only knew Jesus. And you begin to want to tell them about it. So the way I live my life now, the ministry that I do, the DNA of our church is based largely on those things that God gave me a love for in the beginning. Like this wasn't years into faith and salvation. It was very early in my salvation. There was this love and a desire to help the lost. So you heard it mentioned about Feed Brea. All these churches are getting together and we're going to feed people. We're going to go up to, uh, to the high school and hand out food. And we're going to go out and tell people about it. You heard mentioned that today we're going to do Sidewalk Sanctuary, something we've been doing for a long time. We go out, we invite people to church, we pray for them, we'll take out our grills and we'll cook for them and we'll feed them. And we fit that bill. We actually buy the food and then cook it for them and give it away for free. Many times that we've gone down, down and done a sidewalk sanctuary, we tell the people who are coming, show up with at least 20 bucks. Why? Because you're going to go to Starbucks, you're going to buy four or $5 gift cards, and when the Spirit leads you, you're going to say, hey, I just want to bless you and bless somebody. What kind of crazy church is this? You want us to go out and give money away to strangers? Why? Because Jesus came with all the resources and he gave it to people for free. Amen. And we want to be the light of Christ. Amen. It's in our DNA. It's who we are. It's what we like to do. It's what we love to do. And it challenges us to be more like Christ. I can't tell you how many people we've met throughout the years. I was thinking about it, preparing for this message, and we didn't have a conversation, but I thought it was interesting that Sarah, during worship, when she prayed, she said, let us be that light. Let us go out and love people. Let us, even in the midst of all this craziness, share the good news of who you are. You heard Gary get up, and again, he shared the same types of things. We've gone out and done Sidewalk Sanctuary. I was thinking about it earlier this morning. Uh, I've met people in front of a grocery store that, that months later, I'm marrying them in the church. I've met somebody in the, uh, in the gym, same thing, we're, we're both cutting our hair and months later we're counseling them. Friends, relationships, on, on Friday night, the youth were meeting here, we brought a young lady with us to drop her off, to drop off Nate for the youth service and uh, I realized during the drive, I said, man, we, we met this family at a school assembly 
where we just happen to sit next to them and started talking about the things of God and now they become friends to the point where they're willing to have their daughter with us when they're, when they're not coming to a Friday night service and, and drop off their kid. We pulled into the, into the parking lot. I saw a lady walking. I said, hey, let, I want to invite you to our church. It's here on Sundays. And then I sent in the secret weapon, little cute Nile. I said, get this flyer, go give it to her. <laughs> but you never know what God is going to do when it comes to reaching the lost and how significant it is, how important it is. <clears throat> but God reminded me that not only is it the, one of the first loves that he's given me and given us as a church, but it's not to fill seats in the church. Right. We're just trying to stay committed to the first love that he's given us throughout all the seasons of life. When I look at how many people have come, how many people have gone, when I look at some of those people that we mentioned that have just been healed and helped during, during certain seasons of their life, it's not about filling seats. It's not about raising the, uh, the amount of tithe and offering that comes into the church. It's just about loving the loss, something that God puts into your heart when you get saved, and then you continue to have that love throughout uh, your relationship with the Lord. Or he says... He'll rebuke us and say, you've lost your first love. And that's just one of many. Many of you probably have different things that God has planted into your hearts. Uh, but this morning, we're going to talk about some of those things, some of the lost and some other things. But I want to pray. Bow your heads with me. Lord, we thank you for bringing us this morning. We thank you, Lord, that we have an opportunity to gather and to worship and to lift up your name. We thank you that you still call us to resource the work that you're doing, Lord God. We thank you that you still use us, Lord, to, uh, to share your good news and to share your love with others, Lord God. We thank you that we came into this place unqualified, unskilled, Lord God, and, but you have raised many up and qualified many, Lord, and given us skills and abilities and talents, Lord God. We thank you that we came in, Lord, selfish, but you've made us selfless in many ways, Lord. We thank you that people that we did not know, we now consider them to be family. These are things that only you can do, Lord. We want to glorify you for that, Lord. We want to lift up your name. We want to continue to seek you, Lord God. We don't want to forget as time goes on and as years go on and as decades go on what it was like in the beginning, what seeds you planted in our hearts, Lord, what, um, what love that you developed within us, Lord God, that we would continue to do that, Lord, in the seasons where it doesn't feel the same, in the seasons where we're tired, where we're hurting, where we're angry, Lord God, you can still be first and foremost in our lives, Lord. That's our desire this morning. Open our eyes, open our hearts, open our minds, Lord God, and then let our actions, our actual steps, our actual hands, Lord, follow the direction that you set for us, Lord. We love you this morning, and we thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Say amen. amen. Say amen. amen. All right. You're going to make it, guys. We're going to make it. So the title of the message this morning is Lost and Found. If you're taking notes, Lost and Found. I think it's a good message for our series, Hope healing and hurricanes, because we've been focusing on the hope for the found, right? Many of us are in church because we've been found. The Lord found us, but we've been hurting. We've been struggling. We've been in storms. We've been in tough seasons. So we've been looking a lot of times at, at the hope that we can find as the found of God. But today we're going to look at the hope for the lost. Also, we're reminded that caring for and seeking the lost doesn't get to be put on hold because we're in a storm, right? I think in this last season of many of our lives, in this last season of the church, uh, that, that area of evangelism, that area of the lost, that area of those who are hurting, that's been put on hold because we're hurting. We're losing jobs. Our families are struggling. Our friends are getting sick. We don't have time for the lost. Let's hunker down and take care of ourselves. It's only about us and about our needs. I'm not so sure that's what the Lord would desire of us. If you look at a family, a husband cannot stop loving his wife, cannot stop providing for his kids just because he's going through something. He's got a tough season on his hands, feeling a little bit depressed, feeling, feeling like he's, he's overwhelmed. He doesn't get to say, hey, babe, when I get over this, I'll start loving you again. And hey, kids, I'll be back around in a little while. It's not how it works. Same thing for a wife with her family. Same thing for the church. The church doesn't get to say, hey, world, we'll start caring about you and the loss whenever we start to feel a little bit more safe and secure. We're going to put that on hold. That's not uh, the example that the Lord set for us. But many of us, if we're honest, uh, we probably notice that there's been a little bit of that. Churches are more concerned with, are they going to be able to pay the rent? Are they going to be able to keep their buildings? Are they going to be able to continue to pay salaries? Are they going to be able to continue to do whatever it is 
These are important things, but they're not the most important things. These are things that we should be concerned with, but they are not the first love. They are not the actual core and heart of God. Matthew 28, 18. Matthew 28, 18 says, Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen, he says. He says, go and make disciples, baptize them and disciple them. This is Jesus. He says, I'm leaving. I've got all the power. I've got all the authority. I'm going to give it to you. What I want you to do is go out there, make disciples, baptize them, disciple them, raise them up. Only if you're not struggling yourself. Only if there's no pandemic. Only if you don't have to wear a mask. He doesn't say any of that. He gives us a command. He gives us direction. He tells us what to do. And he says, listen, it doesn't matter what season of life you're in. It doesn't matter what the world goes through. This is what I'm telling those who are my followers to do. This is the commandment. To love and to love well. To reach out. To care for others. To consider others. To help others. To sacrifice. So lost and found. But before we look at the lost or before we look at the found, let's spend a few minutes looking at the Lord. Amen? Amen. Amen. Isaiah chapter 52. Go ahead and turn your Bibles there if you got them. So quiet in the church this morning. Good Lord. I I heard football is starting already. I I guarantee there's going to be some yelling and shouting. The Lakers won last night. We were yelling and shouting at the house. We get to church and it's, hmm. Yes, Lord. Isaiah 52, if you're there, say amen. Amen. Dang. We're with you, Lord. Verse 1 says, awake, awake. Put on your strength, O Zion. Put on your beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, the holy city. For the uncircumcised and the unclean shall no longer come to you. Shake yourself from the dust. Arise, sit down, O Jerusalem. Loose yourself from the bonds of your neck, O captive daughter of Zion. For thus says the Lord, you have sold yourselves for nothing and you, have, you shall be redeemed without money. You have, or excuse me, for thus says the Lord God, my people went down at first into Egypt to dwell there. Then the Assyrian oppressed them without cause. Now, therefore, what have I here, says the Lord? that my people are taken away for nothing. Those who rule over them make them well, says the Lord, and my name is blasphemed continually every day. Therefore, my people shall know my name. Therefore, they shall know in that day that I am he who speaks. Behold, it is I. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who proclaims peace, who brings glad tidings of good things, who proclaims salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. Your watchmen shall lift up their voices. With their voices they shall sing together, for they shall see eye to eye when the Lord brings back Zion. Break forth into joy, sing together, you waste places of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted his people, he has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has made bare his holy arm in the eyes of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Depart, depart! Go out from there, touch no unclean thing. Go out from the midst of her and be clean, you who bear the vessels of the Lord. For you shall not go out with haste, nor go by flight. For the Lord will go before you, and the God of Israel will be your rear guard. Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. Just as many were astonished at you, so his vision was marred more more than any man, and his form more than the sons of man. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths at him. For what, he had, for what had not been told them, they shall see. And what they had not heard, they shall consider. That's Isaiah 52, verse 1 through 15. And this is God talking about himself and talking about his son and talking about his people and talking about salvation. Uh, so good. So the things that I wanted to point out uh, about the Lord before we get to the lost and before we get to the found. Number one 
is the Lord goes before. And again, I don't know if you heard it, but, uh, but that's what Gary said when he was up here earlier. He said, uh, go before us, Lord. You're the God that goes before us. Such an important thing. Verse 12 of Isaiah chapter 52 says, You shall not go out with haste, nor go by flight, for the Lord will go before you, and the God of Israel will be your rear guard. Again, I was, I was talking with the men, and we were, we were talking about the God that goes before us, and how sometimes we make the mistake of thinking he's gone way out before us, right? He's so far ahead and he's handled everything and he's looked at everything. He's laid this path out for us. And then we begin to be uh, a little bit timid or we struggle because we're trying to find that path and we're we're worried about misstepping and we're trying to say, I know he's gone before, but what exactly is that direction? And what we talked about uh, when we got together with the men was the fact that, no, it's like a step-by-step going before us. He's right in front of you. The goal is to be able to behold him, to witness him, to see him, and then to follow closely behind him. He says, listen, you're not going to go out in haste and you're not going to go out by flight. You're not going to be run out of here and just take off running. You're going to actually have a plan and somebody to follow. I love that the Lord goes before us and that he's our rear guard. It gives us safety. It gives us security. It gives us direction. It gives us so many things. And if we miss that, if we don't behold him, if we don't see him, if we don't find him and then follow closely behind him, uh, what a blessing that we've missed. So many people don't understand what it means to have a God that goes before you who leads the way, who lights the way, who helps us every step of the way. I think it's so important. If you want to think about what it means to be found, if you want to think about what the issue is or the struggle is or one of the problems with being lost, I think we need to understand uh, this idea of the Lord going before us. How many of you uh, in a regular week, any particular day, any situation you're in right now, how many of you have really considered the fact that the Lord is going before you? And how would that change the situation you find yourself in? How does that change the circumstance that lays before you? To know that God has actually gone before you. Actually, to really believe it, though. Not just because it's a scripture and we can quote it, but we really believe that God is also going to walk with us before when we go out into downtown today. That these people that are going through fires and losing everything, that God is actually there in the fire with them and going before them. How does that change their situation? So number one, the Lord goes before us. Number two, the Lord reveals. I told you that we were reading uh, Revelation, and the title of the book is The Book of Revelation, The Revelation of Jesus Christ. What does that mean? It means that this book is written to reveal who Jesus is. It's a revelation. It's it's an illumination. You couldn't see this before, but now we're going to shine a bright light on it so you can see it. You didn't know this before, but now it's been revealed to you and your mind can understand it. As we got ready to go through the book, it was so exciting because we were being honest and some people were sharing how it's been something they've been afraid to read or something they thought was going to be too confusing. And then as we broke it down and said, well, listen, this book should reveal Jesus to us. We should know more about Jesus. We should see him more clearly. We should understand who he is and what he's doing more after this book than we did before. The Lord has a desire to reveal. He is not hiding. He is not playing hide and seek with you. If you came in here this morning saying, I want to meet with God. I want to be touched by God. I want to feel the spirit of God. He's not trying to juke you. He wants to meet with you. He wants to reveal himself to you. But there's times where we may want a particular thing and that's not who he is or what he wants, but he's shining a light on who he actually is and what he really wants to do. Let it be revealed. He's the God who reveals. Verse 10 of Isaiah 52 says, The Lord has made bare his holy arm in the eyes of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. When he says he made it bare, his holy arm, he's saying there's no disguise, there's nothing blocking. I laid it bare that everyone can see my holy arm, my right arm, my strength, my son, the salvation that's coming. He says, I'm not hiding him. It's it's bare. It's there for everyone to see. I've revealed him to the world. In verse 13 He says, behold, say behold, Behold. say I see. see. That's what it means when you read in the scripture and it says behold, it means look, it's here, see. Behold my servant, he shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. It's all about Jesus, right? Just as many were astonished at you, 
So his visage was marred more than any man. Think about the crucifixion. He was marred. His actual physical body was marred more than any man. His form more than the sons of men. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths at him. For what had not been told them, they shall see. And what they had not heard, they shall consider. He's the God that reveals. See my arms. See the salvation. See how he was beaten and bruised for you. Be sprinkled by his blood that you would be cleansed. And then shut your mouth and listen to what he has to say. Kings will be quiet before him, he says. He says things that they didn't see, they can now see. Things that they didn't consider, they can now consider. Who is the Lord? What are his tendencies? What is his method of operation? What is he trying to accomplish? I believe that uh, he goes before us, and I believe that he's the Lord who reveals. He reveals himself. If you want to see Jesus, you'll see him. So another thing I learned when I got saved is that he wasn't, he wasn't hiding or not revealing himself. I just didn't want to see him. I didn't want to hear it. I didn't want to have rules. I didn't want to have regulations. I didn't want to have requirements. I didn't want to be accountable for anything. But then when you want to see him, there he is. There he is. Amen? Amen. All right. So we've got a little bit of a framework for the Lord. All right. He goes before us and he reveals. So let's look at the found. We're going to start with the found instead of the lost. What does it mean to be found? What does it mean to be part of the kingdom of God? What does it mean to be part of the body of Christ? What does it mean to be part of a community of believers in a church that worships together and lives together, uh, loves together? There's so many uh, important things I think about being found, right? When we say that we found Jesus, right? He wasn't lost. <laughs> we were lost. We are the ones that got found. We are the ones that uh, came to the Lord. So let's look at what it means, some of the characteristics of being found. And we're going to start with, with David in Psalm chapter 139. I'm going to start at verse 1. Psalm 139, verse 1 says, For the chief musician, a psalm of David. And David says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down, and you are acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You have hedged me behind and before. Doesn't that sound like the God that goes before and a hedge behind? You hear David? Verse 5, you have hedged me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain it. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and I dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. Isn't that what the Lord said in Isaiah? He's laid his arm, his strong arm bare and that's what David says. Your arm will be there and your arm shall hold me. Your right hand shall hold me. Verse 11. If I say, surely the darkness shall fall on me, even the night shall be light about me. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you. For you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I'll praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made and marvelous are your works. And that my soul knows very well. So good. Don't, we, don't you wish that you could talk like David? Does anybody feel like David when you think about your relationship with the Lord? Can somebody please raise a hand or say amen? Yes. Good Lord. That's what we got to read. We should read Psalm 139. Put that on your list of things to do a couple times this week. And just listen to that description of what David's describing it's like to be found. He's saying this is what it's like to know God. This is what it's like to know that you're known by God. He says, he, he's so amazing. He says, the, the light and the darkness are the same for you. We're like children who are afraid of the dark, but you, there's no difference. There's no fear in you. There's love in you. You can see me in the dark. You can see me in the light. You're so amazing, God. I'm getting ahead of myself. I can't help it. Let me, let me get back here. So what are some of the characteristics for the found? When we talked about the Lord, we only gave two of many, right? He goes before us and he reveals for you and I as the found. Number one, the found know that they are known. 
The found know that they are known. David went through a lot of things here where he's like, man, I can't even get the word out and you already know my whole thought. <laughs> you know me so well, right? In verse one, he says, you've searched me and known me. You know my sitting down, my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down and you are acquainted with all my ways. How many of you, don't raise your hands, but I want you to really think about this. When you consider your relationship with the Lord, when you consider what it means to be found, do you kind of immediately go to this idea that you are known? That he knows you're lying down and you're rising up. He knows your thoughts, right? He's searched you and known you, and he's acquainted with all your ways. One of my favorite songs is called You Know Me. And I've been playing it on repeat probably for like two years now. I don't know, whenever we went up to visit some church. And, and, uh, and I, I, I don't know why I like it so much. I think I do know why I like it so much. When you feel like nobody else really knows you, it's wonderful to know that you're known by God. That's why, that's why I love this song, why I continue to play it. Because I know that there's going to be times where I'm in relationships with people and what I say or how I feel or how I come off is not going to be received very well. But it's like, dang it, Lord, you know me. There's going to be times where I preach messages and it's crickets because nobody wants to hear it. But I'm like, dang it, Lord, you know me. You know I'm just trying to please you, Lord. There are going to be times where I just do the wrong thing and fall short. And God says, I know you, but I still love you. I'm not going to abandon you. I'm not going to leave you, even if you deserve it. I'll share that song with you guys. Anybody that wants it after service, let me know. But it's wonderful to know that you're known and to know that you're loved. When you spent most of your life trying not to be really known, lying about who you are so that people can stay in relationship with you. And then you can come into a relationship with a God who knows everything about you and loves to be in relationship with you. Amen. It's one of the, the best things about being found. Being one of the found is to know that you're known. I hope that you guys have that experience in your relationship with the Lord. So number two for what it's like to be found or some of these characteristics is the found know that they are not alone. The found know that they are not alone. David says in verse seven, where can I go from your spirit or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. And if I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. David says, I can't get away from you. <laughs> I know that I'm never alone. Sometimes this is a huge blessing and sometimes it feels like a curse. When you want to sin and you know that God is there, that can be tough. But when you're feeling like you've been abandoned by everyone and you know that God is there, there's no blessing like that. The found know that they're never alone. You have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. You have a God that is one step ahead of you. You have the Son who is preparing a place for you. You're never alone. Imagine what the lost feel like when it comes to loneliness and isolation and abandonment. And how, imagine how many of the found live in those places when they don't have to. Yeah. How many of your brothers and sisters right now do you know that they're isolated, they're feeling abandoned, they're feeling broken, right? And they don't have to because God is right there. We don't have time to go into all these things about David, but if you look at the life of David, how did he get to this place? Because he was not a perfect man. He made a lot of mistakes, but he got to this place where he understood that he's so known by God and he understood that I can't get away from him. If I go to heaven, there you are. If I just go away from everything and I, I try to make my bed in hell, there you are. You're, you're, I'm going to wake up and there you are. Well, look, we're in hell, man. Let's get out of here, David. The found know that they're not alone. Where can I go to get away from your spirit and where can I flee from your presence? How is that different than many of us? And we've said it and I've heard it said and we've tried to help uh, people where they say, I just don't feel God. I haven't seen God. I haven't felt God. I feel like he's far away from me. And David says, I can't get away from you. What's different about his life? Where is this written? It's written in the book of Psalms. It's a, it's a worship book. Maybe it has something to do with our worship life, our song life. David was humble. Maybe it has something to do with our humility. Whatever it is, we, we need to find some of that on our own and figure some of that out. But the found know that they're not alone. The found know that they are known. Uh, and then the last one for the found, the found know how marvelous God is. How marvelous God is. Verse 14, 
of that psalm, David says, I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. Marvelous means you marvel at it. You can't quite comprehend it. You can't quite understand it, but you are amazed by it. And that's what, that's what David says about God. He says, you're marvelous. Your works are marvelous. Everything that you do. When you think about how is God marvelous, how is God uh, 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 spark awe in you? There should be all these different categories. Some that I wrote down is just his size, the scope of God, the things that God can do, right? The universe, the planets, earth itself, heaven, earth, seas, land, mountains, all these things. We should be thinking to ourselves, how did you do that, God? His power, his ability to do whatever he wants to do whenever he wants to do it. And then his attention to detail. If you think about somebody that is like God and has all that ability, all that power, all that scope, and to think that he knows you and thinks about you, that he knows you by name, knows the number of hairs on your head, he's so concerned with your life. You're not just part of a group where he's concerned with all humans. He cares about you specifically, intentionally. Every decision you make, everywhere you go, what your future holds, who you're going to marry, who you're going to spend your life with, what kind of parent you're going to be, what kind of friend you're going to be. He cares about everything, that attention to detail. I think it's marvelous. And then his holiness, his righteousness, and his perfection. To have all that and then to be perfect, to be holy, to be righteous, to have nothing evil within you, to never have a bad thought, to never have a bad day, to be ultimately consistent and loving. David says, you are marvelous. The found should marvel at God. We should never lack uh, awe. There should never be a day where we're like, I can't think of something amazing about my God. So let me read those three to you again. The found know that they're known. The found know that they're not alone, and the found know how marvelous God is. Those are three good characteristics that uh, we should pray about and that we should have alive in our life and should be aware of if you're found. When it comes to God, we said that he goes before us, and we said that he reveals. He's a God that reveals, that illuminates, right? So our last group, the lost. Say the lost. The lost. Yeah. It's interesting, uh, no matter what, uh, we're either part of that group now or we used to be a part of that group. That's how we come into the world. David, again, he said, I was born a sinner out of my mother's womb. He says, I was lost. So the lost, we're going to start with Romans chapter 10, verse 13. It says, for whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. A few of my favorite scriptures there. We love faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We come into the church. We hear the word of God. Our faith is developed and strengthened, runs deep within us. Some other things here, though. Paul says it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel, who bring glad tidings of good things. One thing about the word of God, and you, you especially love it in the New Testament, is how many references they make to the Old Testament, bringing with them the things of the past into the future. God's full story. So where is that written? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel and bring glad tidings of good things. It's written in our first scripture this morning. Back to Isaiah chapter 52. I'm going to read verse 6 and 7. So here it is, New Testament. Paul's writing to the church in Rome, all these new believers, and he's referencing something that Isaiah wrote 700 years before. And Isaiah 52 verse 6 says, Therefore, my people shall know my name. This is God. Therefore, they shall know in that day that I am he who speaks. Behold, remember, behold, see, it is I. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who proclaims peace, who brings glad tidings of good things, who proclaims salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. How good is that? God's been saying it over and over and over again. 
Paul's reminding us in Romans that God has said this. Jesus reminded us, right, that this is the goal, that we've got to bring the good news. He says, how will, they, how will they hear if there's no preacher? And how will the preachers preach if they're not sent out to go and preach? How will they believe if they haven't even heard the message? Nah, but I don't got time to hand out a flyer. Nope, can't tell my classmates about Jesus or invite them to church. Nope, I'm not going to share that post. I don't want anybody to know that I'm a Christian. What is wrong with us? Like, this is the whole point. God says, I go before you. God says, I'm trying to reveal my son to you and to everybody else. And he says, if you're found, you know that I know you. You know that you're not alone and you know how marvelous I am. And then you read the New Testament. He says, Jesus says, you got to tell people because the lost are going to stay lost. Just like somebody had to tell you and had to bring you and had to force you if you were a child and you didn't want to go, had to lie to you and tell you were going somewhere else and then bring you to church. How does that continue to go forward? We have to do something. The lost are not going to find themselves. Amen. Some things we know about the lost, though. They're waiting for something that they don't want. Let's be real about it. I'm not telling you to be naive. Like, when we show up downtown today, people aren't going to do cartwheels and say, the way is here. <laughs> We've been waiting. <laughs> No, they are waiting, but they're waiting for something they don't want. They don't want your flyer. They don't want to hear your story. They don't want to hear your testimony. They don't want you to pray for them in front of all these other strangers out there. They're waiting for it, and they need it, and that's the only place that they're going to find hope, but they don't want what they're actually waiting for. Only one time, it was like uh, maybe five years ago, I was sitting in my car on a lunch break, and this guy comes running by my car, and he runs past me, and then he turns around and comes back, knocks on my window, and then I roll down the window and he says, what is the way? <laughs> I'm like, are you serious, Lord, right now? Like, this never happens. Nobody ever knocks on your door and says, tell me the way. But he did. And I said, well, Jesus is the way. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And he said, you know, the, the last few days I've been waking up with these dreams and it just, it keeps saying the way, the way, the way. And he said, and I saw your license plate. At the time, the license plate on my car said the way. So I had this chance to tell him, but that's once in a lifetime. Nobody else is, is waiting for the message that I have for them. <laughs> Nobody else is asking me in the middle of my day, would you mind telling me about Jesus? They're waiting for something they don't want. They're also waiting to hear a message that they don't want to hear. Let's not be naive. When we're talking to people, many times you're just going to be planting a seed that is going to have to be watered and, and it's not going to bear fruit until much later right. after you've been there. But here's the good news. Sometimes, like I mentioned earlier, some of the people that have come into the church, some of the people that have been married here and just all these different good things that God has done. Somebody else planted that seed a long time ago and we happen to come to downtown or we happen to go on an outreach. We happen to do a feeding friends type of thing when they were ready to bear fruit. God's using his whole body, using his whole church, but let's not be naive. They don't want what it is that they're actually waiting for, and they don't want to hear the message that we have to share with them. But hope and healing are undefeated. Amen. We can't be discouraged. Hope and healing are undefeated. If you bring hope to people, if you bring healing to people, they cannot stop themselves from receiving it. Many of us feel like, we don't want anything, we don't need anything, but then when something's provided, you go to Costco and all of a sudden you're hungry because they got free samples. In many ways, it's the same thing. You don't know that you're hopeless until somebody's like, here's some hope. You don't know that you're hurting until somebody says, here's some healing. And they're undefeated. People cannot stop themselves. Why? It's not us, it's the Holy Spirit. What the Holy Spirit does is it reveals who Jesus is. The Holy Spirit also exposes some wounds, right? It shows your brokenness to you, but then it doesn't just leave you in that broken state or in that hurting state. It says, look how broken you are. Look that you're hurting. Look how empty you are. But I have that which can fill you. I have that which can heal you. I have that which can bring hope into your depression. But how will they go unless they're sent? And how will they know unless they hear? And how will they hear unless we preach, unless we share? The reception of the Holy Spirit is also indefensible. See, people can deny me, they can deny you, and they can turn around from us. 
Uh, but, but the work that the Holy Spirit does, you cannot defend yourself against it. God made everyone. Every person who's ever been found, they were lost, and they were not found by people. They were found by the Holy Spirit, opened by the Holy Spirit, and then God used people to usher them into the kingdom. I hope that makes sense to you. If we felt like we have to go out and save people, man, that's a tall order. Good luck. It ain't going to happen. But if you recognize who our God is and that the Holy Spirit is indefensible, that he actually goes in and opens the receptors, right, so that people can receive hope and people can receive love, then you know he's doing the work. All we've got to do is be, the, be that love, be that light, bring that hope, bring that word, bring that prayer, right? How do I know? Because that's what he did in my life. And that's what he did in much, a bunch of your lives. I listen to you. I've talked to you. I know your testimonies. Right. He opened our hearts. And for many of us, we were like, dang, it's dark in there. <laughs> dang, it's ugly in there. And we wanted to run for the hills. And then some Christian tripped us. <laughs> and we couldn't run. And then God jumped on us and put that love in there. Don't front. I remember I'm telling you what it was like when I first got saved. I wanted to run for the hills for six months. Every chance I got, I wanted to fight people. I wanted to run out of churches. I wanted to cuss out pastors. But God was just pouring more hope in and pouring more hope in. And people were so graceful with me and merciful with me. That's why I don't get bad at people that don't do church well, especially in the beginning. I didn't know anybody's name in our church for six months. And there was only like 12 people. That's so selfish. <laughs> but God was graceful. And how does he do that? He sends his word with beautiful feet. Right. You guys are the beautiful feet. You guys are the ones. People are going to come to know God and have eternity in heaven because of you. Amen. From a word you share, from the way that you live, from a way that you love, from a way that you sacrifice for them, from a way that you forgive them, you have beautiful feet and you're bringing the good news. You're bringing salvation. You're bringing peace. You're bringing hope into their lives. And God, like we said, we know what he does. He'll reveal himself. We just got to be willing. 1 Corinthians 1, 21. Paul again says, Since then the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God. It pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For Jews request a sign and Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews, it's a stumbling block and to the Greeks, it's foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. We preach Christ crucified, right? That's where people are going to find hope. Many of our friends and family members that are hopeless right now, yes, maybe they feel like it's associated with a job and finances and resources or getting away from this guy or getting away from this woman that I'm married to or these kids they need to behave. All these reasons that we have, or maybe it's the race stuff going on and maybe it's the politics and the president. And if all, if all this would change, we would have hope and we'd be fine. No, it's not. It's by Christ and by Christ crucified. That's where we find hope. That's where we'll find love. That's where we'll find forgiveness. That's where we'll find life. Paul says it's foolishness to the world. But we know it's the power of God and we marvel at it. God chooses a bunch of, of nobodies to change the world and to get people saved. It's crazy. He will use the qualified and the intelligent and all that kind of stuff, but oftentimes he uses the foolish. Amen. I think it's funny how change and transformation happens. Gary got up here and he told us, we got to be bold. We got to go out there and don't just give them a flyer. You need to actually ask them if they need prayer and ask them if their heart is broken. I remember the first time telling this brother to go out on sidewalk sanctuary. He looked at me like I was crazy. You want me to go outside and tell somebody about Jesus? No, nah, that ain't me. But you know what happens to the found? When they begin to marvel at God, they can't help but want to tell other people. Nobody has to force them. Isn't that what he said about tithe and offering this morning? Nobody has to force you if you're filled with the Holy Spirit. God don't want it if he has to tear it out of your cold, dead hand. <laughs> it's the same thing with the love of God for those who are lost and dying. How do you walk by somebody who's literally dying on the floor without trying to stop their wounds? Without calling 911? My family, they don't really get annoyed, but they see me do it all the time. This morning, I called 911 on the way to church. Why? Because there was a piece of wood on the freeway. And they're like, why do you do that, Dad? I said, listen, if, if I hit that, it might get under the car and flip up and hit somebody else's windshield, and then they're going to drive off the road. They could kill somebody. If somebody could die 
All I got to do is call 911 and try to help the people who are behind me. That's the same thing when it comes to being a Christian. You're trying to help those who are behind you and they're dying and they're at risk. It can happen at any moment. How do we say we love and we care, but we only think about ourselves? We dodge it. Oh, I made it. I want to close with the story of somebody lost being found. Something uh, that the lost saw was foolish, they thought was foolish, but it became the power of God to bring healing into their life and to change their life. So I'll read this and then we'll close. This is 2 Kings chapter 5. Another one of my favorite stories. 2 Kings 5.1 says, Now Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great and honorable man in the eyes of his master, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was also a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. And the Syrians had gone out on raids and had brought back captive a young girl from the land of Israel. She waited on Naaman's wife. Then she said to her mistress, If only my master were with the prophet who is in Samaria, for he would heal him of his leprosy. And Naaman went in and told his master, saying, Thus and thus said the girl who is from the land of Israel. Then the king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he departed and took with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothing. Then he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which said, Now be advised, when this letter comes to you, that I have sent Naaman, my servant, to you, that you may heal him of his leprosy. And it happened when the king of Israel read the letter that he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive that this man sends a man to me to heal him of his leprosy? Therefore, please consider and see how he seeks to quarrel with me. Stop there for a second. Verse 7. Naaman is uh, the commander of the army of the Syrians. They're just destroying all of their enemies and taking all this land. They take Israelites into captivity. There's a young Israelite girl that ends up serving Naaman's wife, taking care of her, but she has the heart of God. She doesn't see this as just a captor, just some woman that she's got to take care of, just some man that now she lives in that house serving as a slave. She's actually caring for him, man. If he knew God, if he knew my master, if he knew the prophet, he could be healed. How do we act when we're suffering? How do we act when we're under the oppression of our boss? How do we act when we don't like what our husband has to say or what our wife has to say? This young woman has the heart of God and she wants to see healing come into the life of Naaman. He gets a letter from his king to the other king. He goes down there and he says, hey, I just want to I wanted you to heal my guy. He's got leprosy. I heard you guys can do something about that. Go ahead and heal him. The king of Israel knows God and he says, what are you talking about? I'm not God. God is the one that heals. God is the one that saves. God is the one that brings change into people's life. You must want to have a fight with me. You must want to battle with me. You're asking me to do something that there's no chance I can do so that when I fail, we can fight. That's where the story is. Then we get to verse 8. So it was when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, that he sent to the king saying, why have you torn your clothes? Please let him come to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. Then Naaman went with his horses and chariot. He stood at the door of Elijah's house. Elijah sent a messenger to him saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored to you, and you shall be clean. But Naaman became furious. And he went away and said, Indeed, I said to myself, he'll surely come out to me and he'll stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, wave his hands over the place and heal the leprosy. Are not the Abana and the Parfar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in rage. Why? He saw the word of God and the plans of God as foolishness. He's broken, he's hurting, he sees the leprosy, he's willing to travel to try to get some healing, to get some help. He gets to the man of God that has more faith than the king of Israel. And the man of God doesn't even come out. Oh, how disrespectful. I came to see the pastor and somebody else is going to talk to me and counsel me. 
How disrespectful. I came all the way down here. I can't get 10 minutes. That's what happens to Naaman. He gets to, to uh, Elisha's house and Elisha says to his servant, hey, go tell him to dip seven times in the Jordan. Naaman's furious. This is so ridiculous. This is so much foolishness. This will never work. Didn't uh, Paul say something like that? The foolishness of the message preached, God uses it to save and to heal. So here he is. And he's ready to turn away. In verse 13 it says, And his servants, Naaman's servants, came near and spoke to him, and they said, Father, my father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more then when he says to you, wash and be clean? So he went down, dipped seven times in the Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child. And he was clean, and he returned to the man of God, he and all his aides, and they came and stood before him, and he said, Indeed, now I know that there is no God in all the earth except in Israel. This is somebody who started the story lost and they end the story found. This is somebody who thought that the things of God and the plans of God and the direction of God were foolish. But they found that by following the things of God, the direction of God, the word from the man of God, that that's where they found hope and that's where they found healing. And how did it all start? With some little Israelite girl being a woman of faith and sharing the truth about God. There is a God. There is a healer. There is a prophet. Your life can be changed. She could have been silent and saying that's somebody else's job, but God chose her. And this morning I'm trying to tell you God is choosing you. There are people who can walk into eternity and be saved if you're willing to open your mouth. And the sad truth is there are some who will not if you're not willing. God gave you a sphere of influence. God filled you with his Holy Spirit. And then God planted you where you are around those people just like that little Israelite young girl, right? That wasn't somebody else's job. Elisha was never going to meet that man, never going to meet his wife, never going to get to Naaman. But the Israelite girl was. The lost need the found. The father uses the found to usher in the lost. He's not going to do it on his own. Earlier this morning, again, we were talking about tithe and offering, and many of us were probably thinking, well, if he's God, what does he need our resources for? Because that's how he planned it. He wants your resources to build the kingdom. If he's God, why does he just save Naaman and heal him and just, just talk to him himself and say, Naaman, I want to heal your flesh because he wants to use an Israelite girl and he wants to use Elisha miles and miles away. He gets to be God. Let's just marvel at who he is and stop trying to change him. And then there's no confusion that Naaman was lost and now found. Listen to the last words he says here. He says, indeed, now I know that there is no God in all the earth except in Israel. He knows. It's been revealed to him, right? There's been a revelation of who God is and who are God's people. And he's changed forever. So good. Why don't you guys stand with me? So this morning, I just felt like there was a, a need to remember our first love and the first things and the first works and, and why we need to get back to them, why we can never lose sight of them. This world can make it hard. We get distracted. We get tired, right? We go through storms and fires. We go through difficulties and sickness and pain. Praying for a pastor friend in the city who... Uh, uh, was hospitalized a couple of days ago and possibly between yesterday and today might have to go on a ventilator depending on how his numbers are like this world is a lot and it comes for all of us the faithful and the unfaithful the just and the unjust the saved and the lost but I remember these words from Revelation chapter 2 the Lord says you've left your first love Remember, therefore, where you, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the first works. 
And then he gives this, this warning, or else I'll come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. So what does that mean as we close? The Lord says, if you don't go back to doing what you did at the beginning, go back to the, uh, do those first works, come back to your first love. He says, I'm going to remove your lampstand. I've been talking about the Holy Spirit a lot this morning. The Holy Spirit, when you read the Revelation, is represented by these lampstands. Same thing in the tabernacle. There's a lampstand and this light shining. And what does that light do? It reveals who Jesus is. You've got the lamps and then you've got the Ark of the Covenant. The lamps shine and you can see the mercy seat. All right? The Holy Spirit illuminates. In Revelation, when John's talking about this, he says there's this lampstand, there's these fires burning, and then that's when you get this vision of who Jesus is with eyes that are flame of fire, right? A voice with the sound of thunder and rushing water. Where does that come from, though? It comes from the Holy Spirit allowing you to see it and it being revealed to you. And God says, if you don't do these things and get back to your first love and remember that there's no time off from helping those who are dying and saving those who are lost, telling them about who I am. He says, I'll remove your lampstand. What good is a church that, that has the Holy Spirit but won't reveal Jesus? What good is an individual Christian that has the Holy Spirit but won't reveal Jesus to friends and family? He says, I'd rather make somebody else's light brighter. He says, repent. That the lost would be found. So bow your heads. I'm going to make a an invitation <laughs> to all who are here this morning to see Jesus for who he really is for the first time. This morning, he would tell you that you are known and that you've never been alone. Even if you felt alone, if you felt broken, if you felt isolated, if you felt like a sinner, if you felt like you've made so many mistakes that can't be forgiven, believe me, he knows all of them and he's seen everything. And he decides instead of turning his face from you and walking from you, he says, I came all the way from heaven to get you. I want to tell you that I still love you. I want to tell you that you can be forgiven, that you can start over you can be born again. You can have a brand new life. I'll take all the pain. I'll take all the sin and I'll pay the price for it. I'm not going to just erase it and let it go. I'm actually going to hang on the cross for you that I can receive the punishment that you deserve so that you can receive the free life that I have for you. But you have to actually receive it. You have to accept it. You have to say, Lord, this morning I see something I didn't see before. It's been revealed and, and I want it. I want that life. I want a new life. I want hope. I want a future. I want to change and I want to be changed. So heads are bowed, eyes are closed. If that's you, not saved but want to be, never made that decision for yourself before but you want to do that this morning, would you raise your hand so I can see you? It's the most important thing that will ever happen to you. Hallelujah, Lord. Before we move, is there anybody? Today's your day, you want to be saved? Hallelujah, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. For the rest of us, two prayers. One is for the found. If you want prayer in the areas of, of being able to really experience your salvation like David expressed in, in Psalm 139, where he knew that he was known, where he knew that he was never alone, that he couldn't escape, he never had to worry about being alone, couldn't escape the presence of God, and where he marveled daily at the goodness of God and the scope of God and the love of God and the presence of God. I want to pray with you. I want to pray for you because that should be kind of like an identifying mark on our lives. If you're found, if you know the Lord, there's joy in, in being known. There's joy in never being alone. And there's joy in marveling at God. We're going to open the altars in a minute. If that's you, I want you to come. And then the other group is, and you may be in both, but if you need a heart that can be broken again for the lost. If you're honest this morning and, and you've been dodging danger on the freeway of life, but you haven't been considering those that are coming behind you, 
Man, God wants to break your heart for what breaks his. God wants to remind you what it felt like to be lost so that you would love those who are lost and help them. God wants you to be a light. He wants you to be salt. God wants you to be the good news. God wants you to be the sent ones. God wants to, to, to uh, light your lamp, that Holy Spirit within you in a way that will reveal Jesus to those who are seeking and searching and lost. It won't happen just because. It'll happen because you desired and you're willing to be used by God. So if you need a heart that's broken for the lost, would you come to the altars? Altars are open. We're going to worship and receive communion. Lord, we thank you. We love you. We came to worship you. We came to hear your word, Lord God. We know that faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God, Lord. We have love for the found, but we also have love for the lost, Lord God. We marvel at you, your goodness, your scope, your power, your righteousness, Lord, your attention to detail. You know us all by name. You know the number of hairs on our head. You care about everything that we're going through, and you're one step ahead of us, waiting for us to follow after you, Lord. Would you meet us this morning, Lord, for those that would be saved, Lord? For those that are found but just need to rekindle and reignite that understanding that they're known and that they're never alone, Lord, and just marvel at the wonder that is you. And then break our hearts, Lord, for what breaks yours. There are people who are still lost, people who are still dying, people that need to hear the good news, people that need to be prayed over, people that need to be supported and loved and brought into the kingdom, Lord. Help us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah, Lord.